This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast. I'm your host, Brian E. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. On the podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and tackle them from the perspective of concealed carriers and law enforcement officers. Today, I'm joined by Rob High, and we are going to talk about expert witnesses and application of force. How about that? But first, a word from the sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by CCW Safe. Get 10% off your membership by entering code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. The most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. And Rob in studio today is part of that team. Also, EDC Belt Company at edcbeltco.com. Uh, if you haven't already, sign up for the Guardian Conference. Links in the show notes. Uh, early bird pricing still going on. And uh, also the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Got to sign up, uh, sign up weekly to be eligible for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Always uh, links are in the show notes. All right, let's bring in guest Rob High from CCW Safe. And the and the intro music, I timed it perfectly for like once in a row. Uh, today's podcast, my special guest is Rob High, who I have known for now 20 years. 20, 20 years. And we just had some uh, great steaks and beverages. You're now retired from a metro agency and work for ccwsafe.com. I, Introduce yourself a little bit yeah. there. Yeah. Um, my name is Rob High. I grew up here in Oklahoma. I've been here my whole entire life. Um, I went into law enforcement a little bit later than most. Uh, I spent 26 years on the department. Wow. I got to do absolutely anything and everything I ever dreamed of. Um, so how old were you when you got into law enforcement? 33. 33. I tell people... I think 30 is the optimum hiring age for PD because before that, you're kind of an idiot. Everybody is dudes. You anyway, know, it, a lot of them, um, you know, your dad got on really young. Um, your dad was really sharp. My little brother got on really young. Um, he was mature enough to do that job and Kind of like the military, when you take guys that are that young, they're very programmable. They'll do kind of anything and everything you want them to do and really not question a lot of things. Right. You're in your 30s and you've got life skills and family and you've mm -hmm. done things and you've got work history in your, in your past already. I retired to come to the PD. Mm -hmm. um, so... The other part of that was it took me about five years to get hired because I came from a much higher pay bracket. Right. <laughs> and so I went from like $82,000 a year to twenty-seven. dollars Christmas. And so I, I, it took me about five years to pay off all of my bills and mm -hmm. be eligible to even fit. Um, but once I did... It was without question. I knew immediately it was the perfect place for me. Um, my first call, call out ever was during the academy. I told you guys, Brian was actually in the first academy I ever ran. Um, and I came in at the midpoint of his class, dead center in the middle of your academy, right at the middle. Um, but my first exposure to actually being put on a call and responding to something was the Murrah bombing. Oh, wow. And they pulled us out of the academy and we went and worked perimeter security on the scene to kind of free up yeah. real cops. Well, oddly enough, I think this episode's going to drop right before the anniversary. We did the anniversary episode with my dad last year and that was uh, quite the hair raising, uh, I'll just put it this way. The tension in this room was pretty thick, Yeah, but, uh, but it was a good, like cathartic experience, I think for both of us. So didn't have to pause the episode, but yeah, I, I, I remember a lot of your, a lot of the people that were in your era were the people that were training my era of Correct. cops. Correct. And, uh, cause it, I think 94, 
94, 95. So you guys had about seven years on when, when I got into, uh, got into the game, so to speak. And, uh, I remember you had taught a lot of the blocks of instruction and then boom, just moved into academy training. And then from that, uh, you were a real key part in updating our like custody and control, defensive tactics, grappling, fighting, handcuffing, batons, pepper spray, all that good stuff, which kind of is the platform that launched you to where you're now a, what's the official title for it? Uh, like federally certified or federally recognized use of force expert. I, I am. I was, I was, uh, I was actually certified as an expert in federal court. Uh, the very first case that I was a part of that wasn't directly related to defending one of our officers mm-hmm. was uh, a deputy for Oklahoma County. Yeah. And there was an in-custody death. For whatever reason, they charged one individual with the death, and it was the only the only employee from the sheriff's department that actually rendered medical aid to the guy. Wow. Um, he unhandcuffed the guy. He took the, the, they had a spit sock on him. They pepper sprayed him. He, yeah, you know, he cleansed the pepper spray and he did everything he was supposed to do. And when they, when the guy dropped a pulse, you know, and all of a sudden his heart's not beating, he went to work helping the the medical personnel try to resuscitate and save this man. Well, there's a lesson in that I think that we can tie in back into like armed citizen, you know, defensive encounters. Um, sometimes the good guys get charged with crimes. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. But but on the other end of that, um, you know, I've I've worked cases where um, you had guys that were posing as the good guys um i've i've had kids that that i've actually had a a pretty strong hand in training uh even one of the guys that came through my recruit academy Mm -hmm. and and he killed a man and it was absolutely not justifiable and that's the other part of that is you know if i'm really doing my job properly i if I can't investigate with absolutely no bias an accusation against a police officer, there's no way I should ever be allowed to to act actively come in and investigate a civilian that Right. And why why should I be able to do that if I can't do it with, with the guys I work with? Right. Well, a lot of um I hate to say industry, training industry. But but it is it's it's its own kind of animal, right? We have a lot of people that deem themselves experts, and I like to refer to them as self-appointed experts. Absolutely. And, and you are one of the few people that I've ever met that went through a pretty grueling process to be deemed a federally recognized expert in use of force. Correct. Is that how you would say it? It is. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, it was a lot, a lot, it was a lot of work. Um, you know, number one, I was fortunate enough to work for an agency that was forward thinking at when you came through the Academy, our stuff was still pretty archaic. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, I, I can't remember what we tested you guys on technique wise, but if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think your final exam at the end of two weeks was like 171 techniques. Yep, that is absolutely ludicrous, and it and it gets to that point because you got guys who are like, well, what if this happens? Well, we can do this. Right. And what if that happens? And there there's so many things that we were doing that were fine motor skill things. Mm-hmm. And f- most of the, the guys that we were bringing through were not background based fighters. So you didn't yeah. have guys that came through with a lot of wrestling or martial arts or boxing or anything. And so now I'm re- asking guys to raise their hand who all has been in a fight and it wasn't half the room. And yeah, 
now the very first fight I'm really going to put you into for real is an armed confrontation because you've got a belt full of bat tools right? <laughs> and you've got a, a baton and you've got handcuffs and you've got pepper spray and you've got a gun and, and well, suddenly it's like, here, go, go, do, go do this. Do the Lord's work. Yes. Uh, and I had just enough of a martial arts background. I had about uh, probably seven years of martial arts background that kind of paused when I joined the military. But I remember thinking 170 techniques. I spent a solid year learning five. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, and I'm by no means uh, any, any kind of martial arts expert. It was more of a something to do on the nights and weekends when my friends were doing stupid stuff. But, uh, but even from that background, walking into that and going, Oh my gosh, like how do we expect people to retain this much information um, and then perform it on demand. And, uh, the good part about it, the ab, like the absolute best part of that experience for me was when I got into the firearms training side mm-hmm. is I realized, okay, I got two weeks with a kid. I can't teach him at the level. Like I can put him in a Robbie Latham class. I have to rip this down to the absolute core and convey that to deliver or to make someone proficient. So, I mean, uh, there was a downside to it. Yeah. Okay. It's a lot of information and we're never going to master it. But the upside was on the, you know, the instructor in my brain goes, Hey, when you get into your area of expertise, you need to peel the layers back as far as you can and give people a really good understanding of that, that core fundamental um, so yeah, I mean, pros and cons, but, but what, one of the things that, that I was pretty, uh, I won't say enamored, but fascinated with was that you actually went through a process to do that. And I see like, I've been in state court and, and been through Vordire and they say, oh, okay, well, you're an expert in, in guns, right? Like we can get, take expert testimony from you and with firearms, cause you have this, base of experience whereas you were playing in federal court with the big kids and having to do gosh like doctorate level research and apply that to case law and so now when i hear the word expert um congratulations rob you have raised the bar for me for what that means (laughs) um it it was not anything that i had a path it it wasn't an intentional route yeah um we were really fortunate that we worked for an agency that had enough budget right to pay for training mm-hmm. and so i got sent all over the country and i got to go to some of the the most recognized training courses in the country for use of force and defensive tactics. And those are not always the same because right. use of force stuff is not always hands-on. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have courses over medical impl- implications of uh, an application of force or legal implications for an application of force. Um, and there's plenty of them out there that were hands-on. And I'm going to send you out here for some of them as as short as 40 hours to as long as 250 hours. Oh, wow. That were all hands-on, and you're going to go out, and you're going to study and train. But there was always a measure of the legal application when you're going through it, as well as the physical application. Um, and- I, I got enough medical. Mm-hmm through some of that but i i found that that went so far greater after i retired from all law enforcement got into the civilian realm yeah but when we were doing uh you know because of my position i was the coordinator for defensive tactics for the department um when i came through the academy 
I don't fault anybody. I don't point mm-hmm. a finger at anybody, but we did things that were silly. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, um, it, and I'm not just saying that because you were the guy teaching we did mine, the best. But. We did the best we had with what we had available to us mm-hmm. at the time. So my class, it was still very much like the Minnesota case with mm-hmm. George Floyd. Yeah. You know, we were putting our knees on people's necks. Um, that's what I was trained. That's the way the the systems were developed back then. Right. But at the same time, there was guys that were from the outside looking in going, man, somebody could really get hurt with that. Right. So um, actually our COO for CCW Safe, Stan Campbell, Stan was out there and he's looking at this and he's an instructor with a very active and influential role in this. And he starts looking at this going, man, that's not good. And he started implementing change with that. Mm -hmm. So we started doing things then, but we weren't paring down the program. Right. It was still this huge, massive, ridiculous, you're never going to retain any measure of proficiency with this thing. Right. You know, you just, it was like short-term memory. I just need to to remember this enough to pass the test. Right, right. But in your class, I think it's when the case came out where the great big guy mm-hmm. yeah. um, acts up, he, he's stopped by police, and they're trying to get him into custody, and and he's huge. I mean, yeah, he's like... The, the baton, yeah. Yes, but he's like 6'5", 300 pounds, and you've got like a 170-pound officer and a 150-pound officer. And they show up doing what they were trained to do, and it failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you've got a guy that gets struck with a baton. If I, if I, I'm, I'm not absolutely certain, a but lot. I think it was 28 times. It was a lot. It was a lot. It, it, it and it looked horrible. And there was somebody that showed up and recorded the thing on video, mm-hmm. and it just blew up. So. I am the brand new guy. Uh, we're right in the middle of when Stan was passing the torch to me and I was taking over the program and the director of training calls me and says, actually he came down in the gym and, and we were in the middle of class and he said, I need you to come up and look at video on a use of force. I need you to tell me some things. And I said, um, we're going to break in 15 minutes. I'll be up there when we do that. And he was like, no, right now. And I was like, where's this from yeah. and and what's going on? And he said, it's our officers happened yesterday and the news is going to be here in 30 minutes. And it was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? So oh, it as as I'm walking to his office, he just stops and turns around and says, I just need to know two things. Tell me what these guys did wrong and tell me why the crap you guys teach doesn't work. Oh, that's that's a heavy burden for like, hey, dude, I just got here. I'm the F and G. I'm <laughs> brand new. I am not prepared for this. Well, from that, it, you you said something that that resonates with me now as I'm kind of on this transition path away from law enforcement, which was physical application of force versus legal application of force, right? And uh, that's something that, you know, me and my good friend, Daryl D.B. Bulky talk about a lot that as a uh, as a group, a lot of trainers focus on the physical application of force. Right. I mean, Correct. how to shoot the gun. Correct. Right. How to how to make the bullet go where you want it to go. You know, somewhat intermingled in defensive tactics and, and things like this. But the one area I see a huge shortfall with in the civilian teaching realm versus the law enforcement realm is the legal side. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many depositions I've been through, but enough I don't want to do them anymore, if that makes sense. Unless somebody's paying me, (laughs) you know what I mean? I was going to say the last one I was in, you can only do seven and a half hours a day. Right. And I price mine exorbitantly high so 
if you want to talk, I'll talk all day. Exactly, which is why I'm so fortunate to get you on the podcast for a ribeye and some uh, good bourbon. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, but that's an area that I think I don't think it's unique to law enforcement, but I think it is. We're much more versed in it, um, because I don't think, except for the rare exception. Um, that most armed carriers are going to go through a federal deposition. They have no idea the gravity of that right. or what it, or what that experience is like. Um, you know, when you could be sitting in an attorney's office and 15 minutes later, find yourself in front of a judge looking at, you know, going to prison. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the gravity of it. Um, and I've, I've testified a, a, a bunch and, uh, I don't care how well versed you are. That is a nerve wracking experience. Now, as you know, either testifying on behalf of a, a defendant or, or whatever it is, um, on the expert witness side, I, I, I can't imagine the gravity of, I mean, you're basically giving them your resume every time you walk in there. I don't right? have to. I don't have to do it anymore. Right. But but in federal court, the first time through, and they're doing voir dire on you, mm-hmm. and it's what courses have you been through? Where was it at? When did it take place? What did you learn? Who taught you that? Who taught you that? And you're going through step by step by step by step, at course by course by course, and at the conclusion of this. The judge is actually the one who is standing in judgment of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate that I worked for an agency that sent me through a lot. Yeah. And prior to actually being certified, I was the subject matter expert for the largest law enforcement agency in the state of Oklahoma. So yeah. I had a great deal of experience every time one of our officers was sued on Anything force-related. Application of force. Application of force. um, I was a part of the defense team with the city attorney's office. And absolutely, as soon as you were involved in a shooting, I'm telling you, I was already pulling up every bit of your training Mm -hmm. and forwarding that on to the city attorney's office going, nope, we're never going to get caught on this as a training issue. This guy is overtrained. We've got him covered there. Right. I though the one actually two pretty substantial incidents that I was involved in it it shocked me well I won't say I was shocked I was more surprised that uh you know 18 hours later I'm at the training center you know getting a uniform deal or something for some reason I was sent there uh, and I'm I'm talking to people that you had trained that already knew the incident like they had been there yeah. because within that 18 hour window, they had compiled all the reports all. And I'm going, you know, I was talking to our, our mutual friend, Kent and he goes, yeah, I heard about this and that. And, you know, tell me about this and baton this. And when you implemented that and I'm going, dude, that happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, we're on, we're already on top of it. And I, you know, now as I'm older and I look at, okay, let's look at the, you know, when I walk away from law enforcement, I'm an armed citizen, right? We all are. Completely different mission. Different mission, but application of force, the legalities of it don't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't change at all. Yeah, they're 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 right there. And yet minus minus the fact that I do not have a legal obligation right. to insert myself into an incident. As opposed to, as a law enforcement officer, there are times that you don't get the choice there. Yeah. You have to, you have to act. And uh, that's that's one of the questions that comes up frequently. Like, you know, well, I've got a concealed carry permit. What's the difference? And I go, and Lee Weems, my friend Lee Weems, summed it up really, really well. He said, you know, as an armed citizen, nobody is ever going to come to you and say, there's a bad man in that dark, scary building over there. Go get him out of there. Right. That's... That's where the line gets really clear. Um, whereas a cop, hey, there's a bad man in that building. That is your moral, ethical obligation to go rectify that, bring order to that chaos. Right. Um, and I think uh, 
you know, as far as the training industry goes, we have a lot of really good application of force training out there for the armed citizen, right? Like, I mean, we can teach you to run a gun like a professional. Uh, you know, we can teach you to run a flashlight like a professional. But the legal side seems to be really, really lacking. I, I think that's really coming up to speed, though. Yeah. I think that's growing pretty fast. Um, you know, you and I have both talked about and, and participated in uh, concealedcarry.com's Guardian Conference. Right, right. Their Guardian yeah. Nation Conference. Um, they're, they're holding their big, huge conference here again in September in Oklahoma. Um, those guys have put on like the most amazing collection of top shelf instruction that I can get. I can get kind of basic uh, fundamental level instruction on learning how to run a gun mm-hmm. to really high end um, gunfighter stuff. Right. And it's like a smorgasbord buffet that I can just pick this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Right. But it's not all gun-related stuff. No. You know, we had Todd Fossey out there last year, and he is doing some force-on-force stuff. He's doing hand-to-hand stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Haggard is doing less lethal stuff. Andrew Branca, and he'll be there again, is doing the le- self-defense stuff. And yeah. he's telling you the legalities. These are things that are – are the those, those are the areas that are going to get you in trouble – in my opinion, faster than pulling a trigger. Right. Because pulling a trigger, when do I when do I have to when am I at that point that I gotta shoot? I'm at that I'm at that point when I don't have any other options left. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna die, somebody else is gonna die if I don't act right here and stop this. Right. Uh, and I don't as a civilian have a mission to go hunt that guy down. It's right. not my job. There's people that are paid professionals to go do that part. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I Andrew's briefing, I, I haven't, I haven't been through his law self-defense block yet. Um, not because it's some self-righteous deal that I have about, well, being a cop, I already know that stuff. It's every time he's at a conference, I'm in another block of training or yeah. I'm putting on one. So yes. sorry, Andrew, I hadn't made it yet, but I will. I promise you, I will at some point. Um, but that's, uh, that's something that Daryl and I, when we have conversations and uh, at, at length, uh, a couple, you know, we, we talk a couple times a month about, you know, we can teach you how to run a gun like a rock star. That's not the mystique to that is not what it was 20 years ago. Um, it, it wasn't what it was 10 years ago by, you know, I mean, I've, I've traveled in that circle long enough to go, man, there is an abundance of really good trainers. Um, where we're, we're starting to see some new stuff is, uh, that that's kind of fascinated me is on like the legal. And then the other one is the less lethal. And I wanted to get your opinion on that because that's something um, as a cop, it's part of the Batman utility belt, right? I yes. got a stick. Yeah. I got cuffs. I got, I got spray. Um, I might have a taser. A taser. Yeah. Um, I might have a beanbag shotgun or a 40 millimeter baton. Uh, you know, looks like a less grenade lethal launcher. device, right? But- less lethal device. Um, I still want to get one of those cause that's really cool. But, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it, it harkens me back to the military of throwing 40 millimeter grenade rounds, but they don't blow up. They just hit people. Right. So uh, <laughs> all that aside, what is your take? Um, because I was very apprehensive on the, uh, the pepper spray thing until recently. And now it's part of what, when I walk out the door in civilian clothes, I've got either palm or saber defense or defense tech, some form of, hots you know the devil's hot sauce in a can yeah on my person um because you know hanging out with dudes like chuck haggard i start to see you know not everybody needs to get a gun pointed at them not everybody needs to get the you know well and if and if there's not a lethal threat coming the other way at me and i'm pointing a gun at somebody 
the vast majority of the times I'm fixing to go spend the night in jail. Right. And because I've broke the law. And so I, but that's one of the things I think as cops that was very, um, Oh, it was very non, uh, it's like, we didn't talk about that for the armed citizen. It was like, Oh yeah. And pepper spray, you know, we use it, but I don't know why you would carry it. Well, there, there's, there's other things that you have to consider. Um, as, as an officer, I spray this guy. What's the next thing I have to do? You have to put handcuffs on them. I got to put them in jail. I got to put hands on this guy. I got to I got to handle him. And what happens when I do that? Oh yeah, I just got a dose of that same hot sauce. Right. Um, and I can tell you right now, I'd rather you punch me in the teeth than spray me with OC again. And I couldn't begin to count the times I've been sprayed. Yeah, you and I are opposite on that. I'll take the hot sauce every day. I it doesn't. Yeah, I don't get a. It it's odd. Me and another guy I went through the academy with. Um, we were both like had exercise induced asthma symptoms. Neither one of us had the effects that the bulk majority of our classmates did. I literally thought they they had sprayed me with an inert spray. Thanks, Blake. I thought he had set me up, and it wasn't till. Five to seven minutes later, I got effects from it. So for me, the context of that, when people are like, hey, I want to buy pepper spray. I go, well, my experience is it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work on me. But I had other people that, you know, I've deployed that on in uh, in real world encounters that have folded up in the in the floor, crumpled like a house of cards. You oh, absolutely. Know? Yeah. And uh, but I've had those guys that look at you and laugh and go, and go that stuff doesn't work. Yeah. Put that on a hot dog. I'll eat it. But on the civilian, and I, I try to, I, I say civilian, armed citizen context. I mean, what's your what's your opinion on like somebody carrying pepper spray? I am 100% in, in favor. Cool. Um, I, I do have a little different mindset than a lot of people. Um, I'm not trying to hurt anybody or injure anybody, but I think if you're going to carry it, I think you do need to have an exposure to it. Absolutely. You need to know what's going to happen. Um, because you and I have both seen uh, cross-contamination oh on gosh. officers. Um, I've ha- I've worked around people that I actually wound up having to threaten. Don't ever pull that stuff out around me ever again. Because you always miss them and you always hit me. I, I worked with a group of dudes at one point in my career. Um, I, it was a summer, like 2007, and I think I went through like three Kansas pepper spray in about four days. And it was all, I mean, it was all above board. It wasn't like I was actually going, I want to find somebody to spray tonight. It was stuff that... Yeah, it just happened. It just happened. And uh <clears throat> I remember the last time I, I unsnapped the pepper spray case and three of my partners went bailing upwind. And I went, oh, sorry, guys. But it, because they had cross-contaminated three nights in a row. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I'm 100% with you. I, I talked to a lot of a lot of police officers, as I'm sure you do, and we talk about pepper spray, and they go, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't carry that stuff if I was off duty because – I don't know what it's going to do. And I like the way you summed it up just a minute ago where you said, if I'm a police officer and I spray someone, I now have an obligation to take them into custody. If I'm an armed citizen that's trying to defend myself, I have no, there is no obligation for me to try to apprehend them. No. Matter of fact, if I, if I can shut your eyes, guess what I can do now? Get a 50 yard gap on you. Get away. Get yeah, away. I can get away. You know, get on nine on the phone with nine one one, and I can keep you in sight and go. That's where he's at. You know that that's the guy right there, the the guy crying with the black shirt on. Yeah, it, right. Um, so I my opinion of of like pepper spray has really changed uh, dramatically over the last couple of years, um, and I and I attribute a lot of that to uh, Chuck and Daryl. Um, just just because of the, like you said. Hey, you don't ha- you don't have to touch them after you sprayed them. Yes. Well, man, if you it, imagine how 
how the uh, the police encounter would go if I didn't ever have to touch that person after I sprayed them. They would probably deploy it a lot more. I can. They say. would absolutely deploy it a lot. More. Right. Um, um, I I I didn't use it a whole whole lot because I I had enough skill set mm-hmm. that I was okay with my hands. Yeah. Um, and I'm. I'm not talking about going out and just smashing somebody. I'm talking about controlling somebody. Right. Um, you know, if it, it, I always told command, you know, that every nail or every, every problem is a nail, then, you know, the only, the only tool I have is that hammer. That's what we're doing. We're banging it down. Right. Um, I like as a civilian, cause my mission is completely changed. I like the option available to me that I don't have to go to something silly um, because I can be at a level where a deployment of OC and I love that palm spray. That, that is just like perfect. It deploys really nice. It's hot enough. Um, and you don't have to get something out there that's just off the charts, stupid hot. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's not something you're willing to put on you, don't put it on somebody else. It's <laughs> good um, policy. Because I, I don't want to do something that blisters skin. I don't want to mm-hmm. do something that might cause a loss of vision or something. That's right. that's something significant. Um, but there's a lot of times that we're at that point that I can justifiably go to a, least, a less lethal deployment of something don't right. don't even care what it is but i'm not anywhere close to being at that level that i could shoot somebody man that's good i i'm gonna throw something out i don't know if you've heard this but chuck haggard i was watching a briefing he did and he went into detail on how pepper spray is manufactured mm-hmm. and yeah, he said I, I watched him do that yeah. last year <laughs> and he says it's a weaponized food condiment and well, I went, that's brilliant. I'm going to steal that. That Thanks. is so funny because it was actually after your class had gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was part of the verbiage that I used for for the justification of that deployment. And and you would get defense attorneys that are coming after you, or 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 the the city or you know even the department is like you know you you stepped over the line here you did this and you used a chemical agent no i used a food product with a water based propellant <laughs> right <laughs> people put this stuff on their tacos i i i don't know what you're telling me i used a chemical agent right um and that really is true it it is it, it it's crushed pepper with a water based propellant yeah I, I just I, I I laughed when I heard Chuck say it, and I ever since then I, I've adopted. It's just a weaponized condiment. Yes, uh, I, I like that too. I, I thought that. Thanks, Chuck. If you ever listen to this one, um, the the other uh, you know you brought up hand to hand, and I've I've always kind of known my limitations in that regard. Um, you know having done some jujitsu and judo and things like that. I can kind of look at the physical stature of somebody and go, that maybe is not the guy I want to tangle with. I want to try to use every available tool that I can to keep that person away from me. Um, And sometimes that doesn't equate to height, weight, any of that. Um, You know, working the entertainment district, there were times when I would see people that had like a big wad of cauliflower ear and I'd go, that's not the guy that I want to get on the ground with and wrestle period. If I don't have to, that's not going to happen. Um, and what are you, what do you see as some of the maybe myth or misconception about like hands on with, with people? Oh man. Um, when I was, when I was running those academies, we would get calls at the training center all the time and have groups that were wanting somebody to come out and teach some self-defense stuff. Right. Um, I think it's really important 
that if you're in good physical physical condition, if you have the means, if you have the time, if you if you have the ability and you're going to carry a firearm as a matter of routine that you train your body to be your first weapon. That's a commitment. Yeah. And that's not, hey, can you come out and teach my women's group on Saturday for two hours? Because that's not self-defense. No. That's a lie. I'm, I'm just selling you a lie. Um, most people don't understand the numbers of years that go into developing an absolute, really useful form of defense. Um, you know, you and I live in this in the great state of Oklahoma. Um, something you need to realize is we've got hundreds of guys trained in self-defense that have been trained in self-defense since they were like five years old right. through the sport of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that are those good guys at it. are good at it and they are formidable. Um, and the other part of that is not all of them have cauliflower ear. Right. Um, I, I've been actively involved in that for more than 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, my ears are, they are not detectable. <laughs> right. Um, you know, our mutual friend, Kent, I tell people, you know, I, when I first saw him in the Academy, you know, he's not a, he's not a large guy. He's not physically imposing. No. He's soft-spoken. Very He's quiet. very kind. Very quiet. And is probably one of the most lethal human beings I've ever met. And that left an impression on me in the police academy that, hey, um, every person you encounter that you look at and you go, I could take that dude, might be him. Yes. And... The only way the the time you're going to find out is when you hear a bone crack or you see your own gun pass by your face. That's a bad way to figure out that you overestimated your skills. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I I would agree with that. The whole the commitment to it, I think, is something that a lot of people miss. But that's a lot. You know, that's the American mindset. I want it now. I'll pay for it later, and I want it immediately yeah if, if two aspirin are good four has got to be better yeah you you and i are both musicians we both share a passion for guitar uh it was 25 years before i played in front of other people uh, it should have been 25 before i did that's <laughs> yeah it should have been but i thought i was better than what i was and i actually was able to plug into some areas that I could get away with it. But right. But, but yes, you're right. It, that, that is a commitment, but for me, that is therapy. Right. Same here. That's uh, that's how I unwind. Um, but there again, much like on the physical skills part of things, you know, you can play in your bedroom by yourself for years and never know what your true skill sets are until you get in the ring with people that are way better yeah. and you learn way faster that way. Well, Iron Shepherd's Iron. It does indeed. Well, let's see. We're winding up on the hour here. Um, man, a lot of ground to cover. We kind of we kind of just went into this like, hey, let's just have a conversation about uh, you know, skills and expert witness testimony and things like that. Um, if you could mold uh, the armed citizen, if you could go, okay, here is a path that you need to that you could take that within, you know, a couple of thousand hours, you could be proficient. And I say that knowing that, you know, they say mastery is a 10,000 hour commitment, right? So mastery of a handgun is 10,000 hours or 10,000 reps or 10,000 reps mastery of, you know, one particular throw in judo is a, a couple of thousand hours of, or a couple of thousand repetitions and seeing that. So if you were to say, you know, say a 21-year-old a model citizen, you know, upstanding citizen said, man, I need to get trained to be my own, uh, you know, to be, to be my own uh, rescue. What, what does that path look like to you? 
Do you start with the gun? Do you start with physical skills? Do you start with less lethal? What? Who? Man, I um, put you on the spot. That's once in a row. Um, I'm I'm going to recommend starting out of the blocks with physical conditioning. Doesn't have to be crazy. Doesn't have to be. Any, I I don't need to be a marathoner or a triathlete. I don't have to do any of that. I have to be able to survive for six minutes. Six minutes. That's, That's a an long eternity. time. That's a long time because most fights end in less than sixty. Yeah, yeah seconds, six, not minutes. Seconds. Yeah. yeah, sixty seconds, and at the conclusion of that, you will be exhausted. Um. So physical condition to begin with. And then I would go into, uh, I'm, I'm going to skip and I'm going to go to something that is an in-between and that's mental preparation. Ooh, yeah. I, can, I can do a lot of things between my ears that don't tax my body. And I can do it in a chair and I can close my eyes and I can go through a scenario, a multitude of scenarios. And I always win in my scenarios. I always do it right. I can I can come out behind the eight ball to begin with, but I always win. I always envision a victory. Um, then I'm going to start going into, again, it, what is my mission? Am I going to go, uh, am, am I already carrying a gun? Because if I am, the Next step I probably want to know is is how to defend that gun. So I'm going to go into some retention things. And I want holster gun defense, strong gun defense, hands-on stuff. And if you've never fought over a gun, it absolutely sucks. Um, <laughs> There's there is, no good way to hold it. no good way to fight over a gun. And I've, I couldn't count the, the numbers of hours I've trained that. Um, but that's a really big, big thing. Uh, you have an obligation to the rest of the community to not let that thing go and get into the hands of the wrong person. Um, and part of that is that mental preparation and your situational awareness and understanding where you're at and not putting yourself in a position for somebody to get their hands on your gun. It's the reason that I'm all fine and, and good with the fact that the law says that I can open carry. But the only time I open carry is when I was in uniform as a police officer. And it was because policy and procedure required it. Right. I would way prefer to keep my stuff hidden and have that be something that's a surprise to a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, if I walk in, I'm, I'm exposed and I get a gun hanging off my hip. I'm target number one. I have had exactly count them one legitimate, not duty, not uh, you, you, there was there was no driving force behind it. Uh, open carry scenario ever in my entire life, and I'll sum it up for the listener. North Carolina at the time I was I was assigned there. Open carry, good to go. You put a jacket over it, you got to have a $150 permit. This is 20 years ago. And me, our, our buddy Michael Burgess, Jason Connerly, guy named Joe Roddenberry is a seventh group guy, a retired seventh group guy. We went into the McDonald's in Bun Level, North Carolina, and we had just left an IDPA match. And I said, oh, I got to take my gun and stash it. And they're like, no, you don't. We're going to McDonald's. Everybody here knows this grab your chow and let's let's finish up and go back to the range and finish the match. And I was uncomfortable, like uncomfortable with the scenario. But right. at the same time, it's rural, middle of nowhere, and no, it, it didn't offend the conscience of anyone. And there was four of us. It wasn't me by myself, you know, oh, look, I've got an open carry piece on. It was just a matter of necessity. Hey, it's way harder to take all this crap off than it is for us to just grab a bite and go back to the gun range, right? That was once in 22 years of carrying a gun every day. Right. One time. And and that was an anomaly. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, yeah, open carry. Oh, that's a whole other topic. That's uh, But 
but yeah, I like that. I, I, I like that, that path. And, uh, from the federal expert witness side of things, um, which we could potentially dive into another rabbit hole. Uh, what do you, you know, we hear a lot of people in the community say, well, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. I'd rather have neither of those occur personally. Um, there's a lot of myths surrounding that. Well, I can just get an expert witness to come test testify on my behalf and it'll all be sunshine and roses and we'll all have, you know, barley pops at the end of the day. And, uh, I think of anybody in the room, (laughs) you could probably dispel that myth with a quickness. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I opened it up. There it is. Yeah. I'm that he's, he's going to put this one on a T and I'm just going to take a big old hack at this. Um, when I started offering my services outside of law enforcement or beyond the, the, the scope, agency right. I work for, um, the first case when I got certified was a federal case, uh, and it was a capital case. So it was a really big pill to swallow. But as soon as we won, I got calls from everywhere. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it was one of those, this guy just went in federal court against the United States. Right. So I think he can help me get off on what I did. And I would get these cases to review And it was, I'd look at it and it was one of those that it was painfully obvious that you were in the wrong. And I just go, yeah, I I can't help you with this, but, but you won this case. Well, I won this case because this guy didn't do anything wrong, but couldn't you just say, and I went, no. (laughs) Um, And, and it was something that I learned. I've got two experts that are as good as anybody in the country. Um, John Delgado is in uh, in Florida, and Ed Nowicki is a retired police chief that's in Wisconsin. Um, Ed was the expert used on the uh, Rodney King case. Okay. On the officer's behalf. Wow. And... John Delgado has done expert work for decades. Uh, He's the subject matter expert for the state of Florida. Um, These guys are just amazing. I've sat under both of them. I've studied under both of them. Um, And the price that you pay, the voir dire I went through in federal court when I was certified was, I love going to court. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It was the most excruciating time in in a courtroom in my experience in law enforcement that I ever had. Because I've got the assistant US attorney attacking every single case I or I'm sorry, every single school that I've attended and trying to discredit me. And I worked really, really hard to earn instructor certificates in all of those courses. Right. And now you're going to, you're going to try to, to, to hammer me on them. Yeah. And that included national law enforcement training center, the federal law enforcement training center, the department of justice. I had everybody's training and suddenly they're attacking those things. Right. And I was, I was fortunate because after about three and a half, three and a half hours on the stand. Oh, wow. It was horrible. The judge finally ch- chimes in and says, I know I told you that I would render my decision tomorrow. I'm going to tell you right now, I'll render my written decision tomorrow, but there's nobody in this room that has any doubt that he's an expert. Three and a half hours. Awful. It was horrible. So, we finish up, and suddenly my phone rings off the hook. Help me out. Help me out. Help me out. And 
my thing was I am never going to jeopardize my integrity. And it was something that the AUSA in that trial thought was going to be something that you could take a shot at me at. And so it is how many hours have you worked on this case? X number of hours. How much do you charge for this? X number of dollars. So you're telling me that they paid you XYZ to say what they needed you to say. And because I had sat with Ed Nowicki and John Delgado, I've got enough knowledge to say, no, ma'am. My opinion is mine and mine alone, and it comes at no price. Huh. Um, and you could just tell that she was just like, ooh, I, he, he was not supposed to know that answer. Right. Um, well, but the bigger, the bigger picture that I see on this is with that testimony, aside from the Verdire, which is, you know, uh, a rectal exam with an SL-20. Uh, and the cops listeners will understand that reference, but, uh, <laughs> but aside from that, that was a case that went all the way to the U S attorney where somebody was potentially wrongfully charged. Yeah. So your four hour concealed carry course, do you think that's going to prepare you? For what you could potentially encounter. And my answer is rapidly, no. No. Most assuredly, not. Yep. And and those things change so frequently. Um, Yeah. You have to stay up and and actually commit yourself to to continuing education forever. The responsibility of carrying a firearm is enormous. It's a great gift that we have. It's a great it's a but it's a great responsibility. Yeah. As Ted Nugent says, it's illegal in France, right? But so we've got that going for us, but the responsibility is monumental. Um and that's uh, that's the message that I want to try to convey aside from all, all of the stuff, but even under the most oh, non-controversial of circumstances, you could be faced with a potentially life-changing decision that happens in a matter of seconds. Milliseconds. Milliseconds. Um, that you could be completely, uh, completely right in your, you know, in your own moral and ethical code and completely justified under statutes and still have something questionable enough that you could be potentially facing life in prison. And I, I don't think you can convey the gravity of that to people. Um, it, it's funny. You said a three and a half hour Verdire. I went through a 45 minute one on firearms And that was the longest court testimony I have ever endured. Uh, Well, I say endured. I've testified for hours at a time on other cases, but it was stuff that I knew the questions that were coming. I knew what to, okay, you know, saw this, did that. Here we are. Right. Um, it, It wasn't things that I was, that I was ever of the uh, notion that this is going to be so impactful to this trial that it's going to sway uh, what had happened or the perception of what had happened. It was all statement of fact. And then you go into a, a, a mode of dire where opinion is a thing. Well, knowledge the only, the is only one that is ever allowed to give opinion testimony in a courtroom is an expert. Right. Um, and that is based on all of your training, all of your experience, all of your studies, the fact that you continue to study. Um, you know, I'm retired. It doesn't mean that I've done all of the study that I'm going to do. You know, you and I were talking over dinner tonight. Um, I took a course from Mass last month. Yeah. Um, because he's an expert. I'm an expert. I want to maintain and continue the fact that I do this, um, 
you know, your dad and I and 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 Kyle sat through and some some other attorneys with us uh an officer involved shooting investigators course last year put on by the Texas Rangers. Um there's just so much stuff that continues to go on. I've got you know, I'm excited. I told you earlier I'm I'm doing Craig Douglas's ECQC. Uh, ECQC course next well, this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Um and it's just one of those that I don't want to s- sit here and have somebody go, man, you haven't done anything in 10 years. Right. Well, no, I haven't. It, you can't go 10 months and find something I haven't done. I'm, I am always moving forward. And that was the, the thing for me. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw that quick little sales pitch in. Um, you know, everybody, your dad, I, I love his statement is the gift or uh, the devil's in the details. Yeah. Um, in the self-defense realm and coverage for armed civilians, the companies that are out there that provide that kind of coverage do what they tell you they're going to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bash anybody and go, they don't do that. They do what they tell you they're going to do, but you better read the fine print and figure out what it is they really do because nobody else has experts that respond if you're involved in a critical incident that results in serious bodily injury or death. And we do. We come to you. Right. The uh, uh, You were talking <laughs> about mass. Um, so I was at TACCON a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sitting in a firearms instructor development course put on by Wayne Dobbs. Now it was titled something else, but it was absolutely an instructor development uh, thing. Right. And it was, it was something that I'd been through uh, in different amalgamations of, of, of execution for years. You know, who was three lanes over from me? Mass. Yeah. Why? My point. Yeah. My point. Exactly. Because that dude stays on top of training trends. And it's why is he still an expert? Because he stays on top (laughs) of training trends. (laughs) Right. And cases. And and, yeah, he's following case law. He's still testifying as an expert. But it was just, you know, when you you said, hey, I'm retired, that doesn't mean I stop. And I I looked over and I mean, Moss has got to be close to 80. And he's in a course with us. Two, you know, two, three rows over. Dude, I'm telling you, the the class that that he put on out here, um, at a, at a Mead Hall was Mag Twenty, it, I think. Yeah. yeah, um, and it says twenty. It was more than twenty. Yeah, I can testify, um, <laughs> because we're coming in, and you don't have lunch. You get an extra five minutes on that break, so you can heat your lunch up and get back to your desk and continue on. I was astounded with how much stuff he put out and I still haven't had time to go back and type my notes, but I took 18 pages of notes on the first day and 15 pages of notes the second day. Good. And I'm an expert in the field. Wow. I was just trying to stay up with him. He, you, it's one of those, I hear this expression all the time. I don't really experience it like a lot of people do, but you talk about drinking from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, dude, I think that's a good place to stop. All right. Thanks to my special guest this uh, this episode, Rob High from uh, CCW Safe. Also, uh, long time retired police officer and uh just genuine all-around great human being plus he is a federally recognized use of force expert so that was kind of a, a rabbit hole we went into all over the map but uh good information nonetheless thanks robbie for coming over good to see you buddy a reminder check out today's sponsors edc belt co and CCW safe off duty 10 gets you 10% off your membership, but you already knew that 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.